right, so this is Art Blog Radio. I'm Jennifer Zarrow, and I'm here with Sean Theodore. Hi. And <laughs> um, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So we're scrolling through your Instagram account. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess you've probably answered this question a million times, but it, <laughs> but it's under the name of exist or yeah. underscore XST. Yeah, exist is, it's shorthand for exist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So where does that come from? It comes from uh, my understanding of black existential uh, philosophy. Um, I was really sort of into reading a lot of the uh, Harlem Renaissance works, and I was like, you know, I like that. <laughs> you know, I started to adopt it in, and eventually I wanted to create a username out of it, but of course, exists. Somebody had it. So I was just like, okay, let's create a phonetic kind of look, and that's where that comes from. That's awesome. Thanks. It is very much, um, I mean, when I see it, I think of the keyboard and typing and, and very much yeah. like the modern tech world. <laughs> well, it worked out because it's super short, too. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Or it almost helps. like a text, yeah. you know, like yeah. a shortened version, um, which also gets me to another question is that, you you know, we're looking at Instagram. Yeah. It's not a place where 10 years ago we would be looking at art. Right. So how is it serving you to... Um, Think about your photography and your images going up already in this digital world, in this kind of instant digital world. It, it's it's an interesting place to show your work because you have to consider scale as a part of the process. Um, you know, I, I do shoot large format and medium format things, but I'm always thinking in the end what out of what I've shot in a day will look good in a 600 by 600 pixel square. So it, it's, it's made me sort of conform to being small because I used to, you know, make art that was much more, you know, large and robust. Um, it, it's an interesting thing, too, to see when people come to an exhibit and they see the work in large format and not in square. Like my favorite format is 13 by 19 Super B. I love that. For whatever reason, it works in my brain. <laughs> and, um, you know, people are always amazed at the detail that they've missed on you know from from instagram from the mobile to you know to the museum or the gallery level so i think about that a lot yeah that's interesting um so you've shown your work we were just recently talking at scribe video imperfect gallery oh, painted yeah. bride painted was bride. i think your most recent yep. a show uh, called the avenues yeah yeah the avenues was a sort of culmination of all my street photography work in Philadelphia, and I had a few uh, other cities peppered in there as well. So Baltimore, uh, Oakland was in there, D.C., a couple of pieces from D.C., New York, but mostly it was all a Philadelphia show. So do you call yourself a street photographer? And if so, what does that mean to you? Um, <laughs> I, I've wrestled with that. Yeah. You know, I, I shoot photography on the street, but in the end I feel... I've been feeling more comfortable calling myself an artist, going back to what I originally was. You know, I, I never really learned uh, photography in, in a classroom setting. I'd never taken a class. Um, I learned everything by working with people in their studio spaces as an apprentice or out on the street with photographers, legendary photographers, and learning from what they could teach me. But I feel comfortable calling what I do well, who I am, an artist, because um, this is just sort of the tip of the iceberg. I've only been showing this part of what I do. So it's kind of like I'm building up to show the next stage. So a lot of it has to do with being out on the street, 
Mm-hmm. I have much respect for people who are diehard, dedicated street photographers. And I guess people would say that I'm one of those. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I just I can't embrace it yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, so you just mentioned something about sort of learning and being calling yourself an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's your what's your do you have kind of formal training? I know you went to Tyler yeah, School of Art. Yeah, went to Tyler so what for is a that while. background? What were you studying? Was, what were you thinking about? I was there for uh, fine art. I was a painter. I was, okay. You know, I enjoyed painting almost my whole life. Um, but I left because I was a little disillusioned with the way things were. I, I wanted to see more representation of what I was influenced by. And, you know, I asked a few of the right questions to to certain people, like, you know, the dean. I was like, hey, so when I graduate, what do I do then? And, you know, that's in art school, that's a very challenging question to ask because you don't necessarily think beyond graduation. I was because I had a lot riding on being, you know, this first college graduate in my family. And I was like, so what's the job after that? Like, what do I do? And no, no one could answer the question. So I left. You know, mm. I, I thought it, I thought enough of my talent at the time, and it, I was really young, I was 19, 20 maybe. And I just thought it was smart to trust my talent and to trust what my heart was telling me to do was just figure things out, protect my God-given talent, and eventually it'll come back. At some at some point in the in the farther reaches of my life, like work now, figure things out and, and then get back to it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Actually worked. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a gamble because I, I I know people who went to art school with me at Tyler, and you know they ended up doing things that they didn't want to do and lost the, the sort of drive hmm. to to create. And I think I actually have more drive now hmm. because I feel, I don't know, it's a, it's a weirder kind of place to be, you know, to be 45 and to have the attention of most 20 year olds and to have more ideas and more experience to bring to what I do and how I create. So I like where I am now versus if this happened to me when I was 20, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so you have been getting a lot of attention, and yeah, there's some great videos I'm and surprised. some great um, <laughs> interviews yeah. out there on the the web, um, yeah. the internet. Um, but we were talking recently about sort of a, attention for Philadelphia artists within Philadelphia yeah. versus attention for <laughs> Philadelphia artists outside of Philadelphia, and sometimes it's very, very different, as it's, we all know and yeah. as you experience. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing just to say anything about that. Where is Where do you find the attention for your work and for what you're doing coming from yeah, you know, these days? I, I find it coming from, it, it's really interesting how far my work has traveled ahead of me, places that I've never been. I have a lot of interest in Australia and Japan. Hmm. Um, I have a lot of interest in France and Italy, places that you know I didn't think my message would resonate. But there's conversation and interest and, you know, intrigue that isn't, you know, it, it, it isn't a sort of blanketed kind of thing. And domestically, I would say California loves what I'm doing for some, <laughs> I don't know why, but people in California seem to, to really dig what I'm, what I'm up to. And I don't know what it is that's making this this body of work travel ahead of me in such a way, but I appreciate it a great deal. 
Now, locally, Philly is a really tough city. Just on every level of respect. It's a tough city to live in. It's a tough city to be successful in. And I think that that sort of bleeds into everything. And the art world here, it's tough. You know, it, it becomes one of those places where, you know, if you don't get the, you fight a lot of, for a lot of the little bit of respect that you get. And then holding on to it is even harder. And I think that's just because this is a stereotypical East Coast blue, blue collar town where it's like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and hold them up <laughs> while, while trying to do your work. I don't know what it is about the city that it hasn't changed its ideals so much as a, you know, a Los Angeles or New York where, you know, people can rise and fall and, and get attention and maintain it or, you know, come and go. But it, it's almost like climbing a very slick wall here. And if you get a good grip, you don't let it go. Hmm. That's mm -hmm. the best way to describe how it feels to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you stay competitive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you said there were certain areas that are interested in your message. Yeah. So what would you say your message is in your work? If you, you, if you could say. I don't know you, you know, I, I was having a really wonderful conversation with my buddy Naj. He, um, he's, you know, into art history and uh, photographic history. And we were talking about how migration and, and how people across a migratory path, how once, once they're moving, it's, they're recorded by <clears throat> they're recorded by an outside source, but eventually they are recorded by themselves. And this recording is happening in sort of an exponential rate now where you have, we are all sort of, all these African Americans who are uh, descendant of the Great Migration, we are all now recording the further reaches of the Great Migration as we are experiencing gentrification. So, it's almost a scientific sort of view, almost like you're viewing it as a parallax. So all your different points of view of the same thing are changing depending on what part of the timeline you're looking at, this sort of temporal aspect of uh, looking at African-American life. So the message to me has sort of evolved. It used to be, here's some beautiful black people, and then it was, here's some beautiful black people against the backdrop of their neighborhoods as they disappear. And then it's moved further into observe the beauty as they move and observe how I'm recording it and how others are recording it. Because I mean, it's, I'm just one voice of it. Observe how the voice, depending on where you're standing, how that voice is different in relationship to where you are in, in looking at it. So it's evolving and it's becoming more almost more scientific to me. And I'm, and I love that, you know, it's sort of an approach, uh, I would call it almost like sort of physics, looking at the physics of how this migratory pattern is, is changing and how it's really sort of, you know, mutually exclusive to African Americans. You know, so that's where I'm at now. It's evolving every day. Mm -hmm, and, I'm, mm -hmm. and I'm astounded by just being able to to continue doing what I'm doing, like to be able to go back to locations that were, you know, six months ago, two years ago, and they're gone. And some of these pictures that I've taken, I can never do it again. Like really there's just this, I'm witnessing these things being torn away within my lifetime in a, in a six year span of doing this work. 
I was I expected it to be a lot longer that these things would still be around or disappearing later. Sometimes they're just gone in months. That's so interesting. You know, when I look at your work, the first thing I see is the people. Yeah. And I guess because I'm a person too, I'm mm -hmm. automatically drawn to other human beings or the shape of other human beings. But I hear you talking a lot about the backdrops and the buildings and the places and the neighborhoods that are undergoing dramatic mm -hmm. change. And so, you know, now I'm seeing your work as the people and the places it, tied together, together, tightly yeah. tied together. And when yeah. the places go, where do, where the, do people the people go? go? Exactly. Um, so that said, I guess just um, sort of specifically, where are you looking? You know, what, yeah. where, where in Philadelphia is this change happening most dramatically that you see? Well, the, it's there's there's a I would say North Philadelphia is going through the most dramatic and quick change. Mm -hmm. um, some of the things that I'm discovering, like I just showed you these pictures from last week, they'll be gone soon because, you know, these are buildings that are right sort of in the line of fire, temples, you know, uh, temples sort of ideas of what the neighborhood should end up looking like. West Philadelphia, um, right outside of Penn and Drexel area, is the next sort of space that's changing. And it's... I mean, but that's been, you know, changing over the course of a hundred years. Um, the, the Black Bottom has always been a place where changes occurred. But the most interesting part of the city to me, and the part that I'm starting to fall in love with like crazy, is the Frankfurt section above Lehigh. I, you know, I don't, I'm old school Philly. There were parts of the city that, you know, as a black guy, you just don't go because you knew better, you know? So it was like Fishtown was that area for me, Kensington was that area. Like I still have memories of homes being firebombed when black people moved in, you know? And this was the 80s, you know? So it was like areas that for me were prohibitive, now I'm going into. And it's like, a, just, it's almost like a slice of the past because there's nothing that has changed about these neighborhoods. Like, I'm going in and I'm like, wow, this is just like 88, 89. And, it, and it's remarkable to me. Like, I'm, I haven't really shot much. I've just been walking around and just marveling at how everything has seemed to stand still. And for someone who is interested so much, like myself, in the temporal aspect of what I'm doing, the fact that things have stopped and there is this encroaching wave that's coming close, but it stops at certain blocks. It's like sort of the wave stops at Lehigh and there's no more gentrification after Lehigh and, and it just stops there. And it's really fascinating to see how the people are dealing with life in this sort of frozen element of time and talking to them. They, they, they don't connect with the rest of the city, downtown, uptown, west, south. They're just where they are. It's almost as if they're on an island. So, I, I like to, to track the changes, and I'm shooting where the changes are, but I'm also looking where the changes aren't hitting at all, and why, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I'm really now seeing your pictures as like a geography project. <laughs> I mean, a project <laughs> of urban spaces yeah. and urban change. Yeah. Um, yeah and the impact of culture in these neighborhoods yeah. is important. It, one of the... the the coolest things I discovered was that bodegas were being painted 
in very unique colors based on the dominance of one family company or another. Hmm. And, you know, for a while there, I had a running bet with a friend of mine who's a model, and she and I would drive around. What color are the bodegas in the city? And, you know, for a while they were orange, and then for another while they were yellow, and then they started to do this sort of mix of striped colors. And now there's this predominance of this sort of teal, white, and orange, but it's representative of this one family group who's hmm. buying out all the corners to make these bodegas. And it's fascinating to me because culturally these colors signify things to us. Like that, that painted corner, you know, you can go in there and eat. Not well, but you can eat. You know, it, it speaks to some sense of like an inherent knowledge that that color combination eventually will lead you to take care of yourself or you know who will be there hmm. it's it's fascinating stuff to me just based on the colors of things too very interesting i mean yeah. it's sort of like a flag that of exactly. some kind of nation that gives right, you some right. information yeah. about what's there who's there mm -hmm. who goes there what you can find there yeah. it's, um, it's changed a lot in west of yeah, lane like yeah. west of lane used to just be old school brick you know it was a really strong jewish neighborhood it was row homes and bricks then all of a sudden the color comes and the color is representative of the people who are moving in to do business and they're most likely latin latin american lat latino mm. and it's just like wow like all of a sudden there's this bright pop of color in this very sort of old school philadelphia neighborhood and it's jarring mm. you know it, it's very jarring mm. yeah. interesting and so interesting that you, as an artist who looks at things all day long, you know, yeah. are the one to, to kind of notice and track all of these changes, especially, yeah. you know, I'm interested how you talk about color because so many of your photographs, so many of your, your, the people in your photographs are shot against bright colors mm -hmm. or vibrant backgrounds. Yeah. Um, so I wonder in just our remaining minutes, if you could say something about just the style of your work. I mean, when I look at it, I see... Um, Barkley Hendrix, and wow. I see other great Philadelphia artists, and I see um, a style or a feel that yeah. reminds me of paintings. Yeah, maybe that stems back it. to you your life it. as a painter. But um, so, just real quick, you know, what do you think about in terms of style or um, the visual style that you're developing or I'm, looking for? I mean, you, you hit it on on really you kind of hit it on the mark. Like Barkley Hendrix. Jacob Lawrence, mm -hmm. Romare Bearden, Aaron Douglas. Um, those are the key African-American artists that I pull from, particularly Aaron Douglas. Um, a lot of people, mm -hmm. they, they hear me talk about it, but they don't see how important his work is to me because I look at what he was doing with paint almost 100 years ago, and I'm like, man, if this guy had a computer... <laughs> you know, I'm like, if this guy had a digital camera, if this guy had something, like, you could see the struggle in a way. Like, there was an effortlessness to his work, but then there's also this sort of limit by paint. So what I, I take all that, and I'm, I'm looking at my, you know, my body of work, and I think through it, and I try to pick up where they left off. You know, like, there's a, there's a school of thought that kind of, we, we idolize in that space and I look at it and I'm like, wow, what could they have done if they would have kept going into this age? And, you know, I have my own voice, but I'm really guided by, you know, a lot of people ask me, who are your favorite photographers? And I'm like, 
I have few, but I'm really keen on art to drive me, not photography. So stylistically, I'm, I'm looking to create things that mimic, you know, a painting. A lot of times people are like, oh, that looks really painterly. And I'm really trying hard to create a photo that gives you the feeling of that kind of motion, that kind of brushstroke almost. And some of that is borrowed from, you know, the environment. I might shoot against something that has such great texture that it reminds me of what I've seen in a Renaissance painting. And I'm always looking for you know, great light. Like, I can't shoot. I, I, I can shoot in the studio, but I won't shoot in the studio. You know, when I shoot in the studio, I don't feel as comfortable as I am in this natural environment out in the light. So I, I really just want to create things that feel like paintings, but you know that it's a, photo, uh, it, it's a photo, but there's this sort of gap of understanding. I always try to create this little gap of understanding, like, how did that happen? How did you do that? I want to be able to shoot as if I was painting, you know, and or or collaging it together, like piecing, like I like to make people question what they're looking at, mm -hmm. you know, there are a few pieces that I've, you know, posted that, you know, uh, you know, borrow from surrealism or, you know, borrow from cubism, and I want people to sort of look at this photo and stop and guess, but also realize that I'm shooting it against this, this space that is important to the culture, to the to Philadelphian blacks. Like this area of Richard Allen projects that still stands will be gone soon. And, and people will be like, wow, this is a beautiful picture, but ask the deeper question, where where did I shoot it and why? You know? That's the kind of thing that I want to do. It's it, it's it's hard to describe in a lot of ways, but it, it comes from the Harlem Renaissance push of creativity and, and really trying to express this sort of soulfulness and then also um, challenging the, the sort of status quo of what people expect you know what you expect a black photographer to shoot or a black artist to create I, I just want to knock that a lot of times or take it one step further you know I love Barclay Hendrix stuff like you know I've actually shot a piece um, it was a uh, Lordy Mama and I redid the entire piece with the gold leaf and everything. Like, I actually redid the whole thing. And I just was like, I hope he sees it one day. Because, <laughs> you know, it, it was such an inspirational piece. And to be able to recreate it in a photo and still make it look like a painting mm -hmm. without Photoshopping it, which is a, a real challenge. That was, that's something that I, I love doing, you know. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Well, it was really a pleasure me. to hear about your work. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming here. Thanks. Thanks.